We're starting a new series this, this Sunday. It's called Worship Through Generosity. Uh, it's a four-week series. And actually what's going on is that, um, that I'm starting it today. And next Sunday, uh, Jared will be speaking. The following Sunday, Matt will be speaking. And then the following Sunday, Greg Buckles will be speaking. And what was interesting is we talked about generosity and what does that, what does that look like within the church Uh, It was interesting that all four of us had a little different perspective on generosity and what does that look like. And we realized, hey, the body is is multiple and and multiple ideas, multiple thoughts there. So I think through this time, you're going to see different thoughts and and, and all about generosity. I do want to take a moment and and, um, I want to address the... the fact that sometimes, you know, people look at the church and they go, all they want is, want is our money. If you've been at NBC any length of time, you realize we don't always talk a lot about money. We don't, we don't drive. In fact, I, was, I, I pulled this out. You're probably wondering what this little box is up here. Uh, the old timers, the really old, old timers, they know what this box is. Uh, back in 98, when I came to Mansfield Bible Church, we were meeting on the other side of a town and a little, actually it was a, um, a portable building that the, the men in the church had built. And when you walked out, there was a table, just a little table off to the side, and it sat there. And unless somebody told you what it was, you didn't really realize that's where you put your offering because we didn't, we didn't pass the plate. We didn't do any of that. It was there because we believe that people give based on what's going on in their relationship with God. Now, we've kind of grown from this. In fact, the verse on here, and a very dear friend uh, the old timers know him, uh, Dave. He, he made these boxes. We have two of them. He made these boxes. We hang on to them. And every now and then we go, what do we do with these? And we can't get rid of them because they're such a, a marker in the life of NBC as we think about what God has done over the years. That when we think about giving and we think about generosity and we think about those things, ultimately, it's really dependent on what we believe and trust about God. Um, this morning... Um, I do not in any way want to come across as demanding anything. And I'll tell you why. It's simple and maybe it's obvious. And if you know me, you know I'm serious. Some of you who don't know me, you may think, oh, he's just saying that. But I genuinely mean this from my heart. I don't trust you for God's provision for the work of the ministry at NBC. I trust him. And I believe that God moves in his people. And sometimes we don't talk enough about finances and, and, and generosity and giving. I hear that quite often, to be honest with you, that we need to talk about it more. But as I approach you today, I want you to understand that. We, we used to use these boxes. Now you may or may not realize, I'm, we put big signs on them, but you probably walk by them. There's black boxes by each exit. And as God lays on your heart, as you, in your relationship with him, and he moves within you, you can give that way. You can go online and all that. I remember when the pandemic happened, we went through a few weeks where people were asking us, well, how do we give? You know, we're not meeting at the time. So we were, we were talking about all the different ways people could give. But other than that, we're not gonna come. You're not gonna have an elder come to your house and tell you this is what you're supposed to give. We don't believe that. We believe that it's a result of your relationship with God and that God gives through his people and he moves within their hearts. Generosity, when we talk about it, it is literally an act of worship. It's an act of worship. It's our response to God's grace in our lives. One of the things that I 
miss about passing a plate is that it stops the service in the middle of it and it reminds us that we're responding to what God has done in our lives. So when we give to him, it is really a response to him working in my life and it's a response to his grace. But we don't, we, we don't, we, we don't pass, we haven't been passing plates since the pandemic, you know? Um, and there's been things I've been thinking, like how do we stop the service and, and for a moment realize that, hey, this is, this is an act. It's a, it's a response to God. When we take communion, it's a response to what God has done. When we, when we sing, we're singing of his glories and of his grace and his mercy, we're responding. When we hear the word of God, we're saying, yes, that's right, that is true. And we're acknowledging in our lives and, and we appropriate it in our lives. But it's no difference in our, in our generosity. That's why I love that, you know, we take time at least once a year where we don't have services and we're out serving in the community where we, we're building. We got another one coming up May 5th, by the way, Community Outreach, where we won't have a service. We'll be out there fixing things because our generosity is worship as well. It isn't about coming in here and sitting in a seat. And I pray to God that we as his people realize that and we begin to respond to God and what he's doing in our lives. Uh, I remember NBC went through a time before we bought this building, we actually had some land and we were praying about building and we needed to borrow money to build because we weren't gonna be able to, to build. And I remember we talked to banker after banker after banker and they would look at our small congregation at the time and, and they would tell us, you know, oh, you're, it's not gonna happen. I remember one banker, Greg and I were sitting next uh, across the table from him and he basically said, if you do not, Go after the wealthy in your church and get them to give. You've got to meet with them. You've got to sit down and you've got to tell them. And da-da-da-da-da. And we looked at him and said, that's not what we believe. We believe in trusting God. And I'll never forget, he looked at us in all seriousness and he said, you will not ever be able to get a loan. You will not be able to build. And we smiled and Greg smiled and said goodbye, you know. <laughs> and they left and he left. And you know what God did? It was the most remarkable thing. He not only provided for us alone, but then he provided for us this property. It, it blew me away the way that God worked. And if you were around in those days, you saw what God did over and over and over again. It was a couple years later or something. I remember we, I was walking through Lowe's and I saw that banker. Um, Greg Buckles was really working hard on me not to just say things that first come to my mind, you know? <laughs> And, uh, you know, so I smiled, <laughs> shook his hand. Hey, how you doing? Uh, we got the loan. Yeah, you know, God's working. And then he went on. He said, great, thank you. And I walked away. I was like, oh, man. I, I wanted to look at that guy and go, you are wrong, you know? God is bigger than what you're saying, and God provided. Because God provides through his people. And when his people understand the grace that's been stowed upon them, how do they withhold Generosity is an act of worship. Generosity is our worship. And it's reflective. We, we work on so many things in our lives. We work on knowledge of God's word. We work on our faith. We work on all these different things in our lives, but we kind of ignore generosity. And yet Paul's gonna challenge these believers because that they should be working on generosity just as much as they are in their knowledge of the word. Because it's a reflection of God's grace in our life. That worship 
is through generosity. So we're in the in uh, chapters eight and nine of Second Corinthians. If you want to turn there, we're going to be looking at some different passages as we work our way through. And and as I try to talk really fast, um, but we're going to start in chapter eight. And when we talk about the circumstances of this of this passage, Paul was taking up a collection for the Jewish believers who were in uh, who are in Judea who were going through tremendous poverty. Uh, it was during the time of Emperor Claudius between 41 54 AD that um, there was great famine going on. It was impacting. Some people believe that maybe it was because, remember when the early church was birthed back in Acts chapter two and many were coming and they were staying, they were wanting to hear about the word of God. And so you had the believers there that were selling their things, uh, selling property even in order to supply and meet the needs of those that were receiving Christ and coming to faith. Um, So whatever the case may be. So now Paul's talking to these Corinthian believers who had heard a year ago about the collection and wanted to be a part of it. But now it's a year later and the collection hadn't happened. Uh, we're, We're not sure why it was delayed. Some believe that false teachers probably got into the church and was saying things like Paul, you know, he only does this because he's wanting wealth and he's wanting the money and all that. And so they were diverting some of their funds, maybe to these false teachers, but we really don't know. That's one thought. And so now Paul's calling on these Corinthian believers to finish that which they started, to in the generosity of their faith and, and to be an example of their love for the believers. What's interesting is as Paul is calling on these Gentile churches to give to the Jewish believers in Judea, it's really important to understand the tension of the day between Jew and Gentile. And here it was that these churches that had came to Christ and that were planted mostly by the efforts of these Judean believers who now were in need, it was an opportunity for the Gentile believers to supply in the need of these Judean believers. It's really, it's really a picture of generosity. And so one of the things that I began to look at these passages and these chapters is to realize that worship is through generosity and there's some things that we need to recognize. And the first one is that generosity is an act of grace. Let me say that again. Generosity is an act of grace. Look, if you will, verses six and seven of chapter eight. We'll bounce around a little bit, but... At six and seven of chapter eight of Second Corinthians, it says, "Accordingly, we urge Titus that has that that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace." What's he talking about? He's referring to this collection, this this need that the Jewish believers in Judea needed, and they're trying to bring up this collection. And Paul is calling it an act of grace, a grace showing favor. It's the same word when we talk about, about the gifts, the spiritual gifts, those grace gifts that God gives to the church. It's, it's the picture that, in fact, it's in, second, uh, or in Titus chapter two, verse 11, it says that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men or all people. That that grace of salvation or the grace of God is the personification often we believe of Christ, but how do you separate grace from Christ? And Paul's going to talk about it in a minute because when you see the very act of Christ and his coming, it was an act of grace. It was a demonstration of God's grace as he bestowed us on us his spiritual blessings and his gifts and, and, and he took care of his people and he called them to himself. 
And it's the same picture here is that this act of grace, this, this giving of grace, or this grace of giving that they were to, to give to these believers. Verse 7, he says, but as you excelled in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. You've excelled in these things. You've excelled in faith. You've excelled in knowledge. Well, be, be sure to excel in, in generosity as well, in this act of grace. We're not to set that aside, and, and it's, it's, so, it's so funny because anytime we talk about finding, you know, like, like let someone come up and reach in my pocket and try to grab my wallet, right? Uh, I, I mean, I know I'm a nice guy, but we're going to have a conversation about that because anytime we're talking about finances, it's very personal. I used to, when I was in the restaurant business, couldn't understand why grown men would berate a 15-year-old or 16-year-old working a cash register because they couldn't get their order right. And you'd see these grown men just berate them. And I'd walk over and, you know, I, you know being me, I'd be sure to make sure they understood the scenario in which they just completed there and did. But the reason why people do that is because food is very personable. If you want to find out how personable food is to me, watch me when I eat my plate and there's one bite left, don't take it. Don't take it. Lydia and I were dating. That was one of the things she had to learn was don't take my last bite. You can take my second to last bite, but don't take my last bite, right? You know, there's things that are personal in our life. When we talk about our finances, when we talk about generosity, it's very personal and it's uncomfortable. And sometimes the spirit is moving in our hearts because we know that we could do better. And sometimes we feel that uncomfortableness. Don't ignore that. Don't ignore it. God is abundantly beyond bestowed upon you his grace. So we need to hear these things and we need to learn and we need to understand that act of grace or generosity is literally an act of grace. And Paul makes it, a, makes it very clear that it stands right along with other things like our faith and our, and our knowledge. He says in verse one, we want you to know brothers. So Paul's given an example to these Corinthian believers. He said, we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. In fact, he's, Paul's gonna use them as an example of how they gave. And he said, he said these churches, in fact, it's referring probably to Philippi, Thessalonica, and as well as Berea. And, and if you look at it, Paul had, uh, planted those churches on his second missionary trip. You can read about it in Acts 16 or 16 and 17, if you want to know more about that. But they were, they were churches that suffered mightily for their faith. They were under great persecution. There was also just where they were located. If you were looking at a map, there was a lot of wars going on. So they, they, were, they were often very poor or didn't have a lot. And so Paul, he wasn't expecting a great gift from them because of their own, their own poor uh, poverty that they found themselves in. Verse two, he says, for in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Look what he says, man. He says that while they were under tremendous affliction, were the test of affliction, it's the idea that they were sorrowful, that there was much troubles, that in the midst of these troubles, there was joy on their part to give among their means of what they saw that they'd been given. I, I, it really blew me away. In fact, one of the phrases I wrote down is that through ex, referring to these churches, through extreme or though in extreme poverty, 
they could make others rich. Let that sit. I've been, if you've been around me any lately, I've been griping a lot. You know, you know what I've been griping about? Because man, it seems like since about last summer, just one thing after, the whole worst case scenario kind of deal has just been daily in my life. I mean, it's just one thing after another. Some of you have been going through that too, right? And it's been one thing after another. A few, not too long ago, I took my wife's car in. It was supposed to be a couple hundred dollars. $2,000 later, we got it running again, you know? Took my truck in this last week, a couple hundred dollars. Well, now it's going to be $1,600. And, you know, it's just like, you know, I, I was just walking around. I was griping. I was complaining. And then I read this. In extreme poverty, they can make others rich. It's never thought, never even entered my mind about how God can even use us in our difficulties to glorify himself and make himself known. They had learned that God's grace is sufficient to take their weakness, their weaknesses, and through them display God's power. It it isn't... When we talk about generosity, it isn't that, oh, they've got more so they can, they, are, they can be more generous. It's a picture of that we as God's servants because we realize what God's bestowed on us that he can use us to be generous to others. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. In fact, it, it really struck me and even caught me in my own uh, growth. It, it wasn't that their material uh, welfare was a, was, was the case or the standard by which they gave, but it was really their heart. That's what Paul goes on. He says, he says that, uh, verse three, for, for they gave according to their means and as I testify beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That they, they in their, Paul is testifying that they in their poverty and their, and their lack of, of possessions was able to give not only among their means, but beyond their means. And they did this according to their own cord. Uh, he made some observations here. They gave generously through their poverty. Not that, not that their judgment was unbalanced. Like they, they, they gave in such a way that they no longer had, were able to supply for themselves, but they found ways in which they live. I always think of Hudson Taylor whenever I think of that. Y'all familiar with Hudson Taylor? a great missionary to inland China. So in preparation, when when he was preparing to go to China, he had a job and he was working. And in the process of working, he knew that he would have very little in China to live on. So he he committed himself to live on like 10% or 5% of his income. And he lived next to nothing in order to to take this funds and to be able to use it for for the ministry. It blew me away that he would find in the midst. It wasn't like he made a lot of money, but he realized that, hey, I could live on this in order that God can do this. And God allowed him to be used. The second thing is that they didn't do it in their, they did it on their own initiative. Look at verse three, he says, of their own accord. And they didn't just do it on their own accord, but they were begging us earnestly. They were pleading with us. Paul was like, hey, you know what? I think you have need of this offering. I know the need of the Jewish believers, but Macedonian churches, you guys look like you have need. But they urged him to take it. Why? Because they wanted to find favor in this gift. That word favor, you know what, we get, what the Greek word is? It's koinonia. We get our word fellowship from it. 
that they wanted, to, they wanted this gift to be given that was, was beyond even their own means that they gave that they may be part of the fellowship of meeting the need of the Jewish believers in Judea. Maybe they understood the reality that they would not know of this grace of God, that they would not know of Christ without them. Maybe that was part of it. I don't know. The reality is that they decided on their own accord in their understanding of who God was in their life. And they responded. In fact, he goes on and he says in verse five, and this not as we expected. We didn't expect their response, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. That they by, by right off the bat, they gave themselves to God. You know what? Let me say this. I gotta be careful. Let me think. I want you to give because God and you have spent time talking about it. I don't want you to come in here and go, hey, Greg, what do you need? I want you to go, God, put on my heart. What is it that you want to do? Do you have a vision for what God can do through the work of NBC? We've seen people do things like building wheelchair ramps for those in, in need. We've seen God uh, replace ACs when their ACs have gone down. We've seen people who have gotten to a place where financially they can't, they can't make it another month. And we've seen God provide for those folks over and over again by you all. This last month was our missions month. And I was so moved by one of our, one of our teens that gave a substantial amount to a missionary. And I'm thinking, God, bless them, man. Just bless them, God. Because they're not only providing a need that is needed for that missionary, but do they realize, God, what you're gonna do through them because of their own submission and understanding of your grace and your work in their life? It blew me away. We've seen that over and over because it's by the will of God that as we recognize that Christ is involved, we begin to dedicate ourselves to Christ and not only to him, but then to the body as well. That's why Paul said, and to us also, that they understood that there was that, we're not, we're not individuals in the body, we are a body of believers. And we need to take a spiritual interest in the well-being of those around us. We need to be concerned about those around us who are growing. That's part of learning to follow after Jesus. But that also doesn't mean just in there that we're praying for them or just that we're, we're calling on them. But sometimes it means that we're also doing some other things and maybe it's generosity, whether it's through a meal or through a, through a, through a need that they might have. That's how the body works. Not every of you know all the different things that you do as a body. I've seen some of you who have sacrificed hours in employment in order to do a ministry. I've seen some of you go out of your way daily, daily to, to help someone that's in need. Those are expressions of God working in our lives. And man, I pray, I pray that God would just move among us in such a way that we're so overwhelmed by the grace of God in our lives that we understand that it is the grace of God that we share with one another. And we quit, we quit hoarding in ourselves and understand that God is more than able to supply. That he is able to use us for his glory. 
The Macedonians were eager to be channels of God's blessings because they lived in accordance with his will. It is when we're walking after him and we're walking in his will. That's why I don't think we as elders will ever come and and pound you for how much you give. You know why? Because we believe that the spirit of God should be moving in your heart. If your heart's hard towards the spirit, how are you going to be able to grow in grace? How are you going to be able to grow in knowledge? How are you going to be able to grow in faith? How are you going to be able to have concern or heart for those in need? Our students this week are going to be going out in missions week. And they're going to have opportunity. They're going to have an opportunity to serve. In verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command. He's not commanding it. If I, if I commanded how much you gave, it would, not be, it would not be generosity. It would be membership dues, right? It's not a command. But what does he say to them? but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. It's how we are generous that we demonstrate what God has done. We talk about it all the time, our unity. When we love one another, we demonstrate who Christ is in our lives. Paul's saying, hey, when you're generous, you prove the earnestness of others that you, you love, your love is also genuine. Verse nine, he uses an example, he uses Christ. For you know the graces, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. It's a picture whereby Paul is using Jesus who left heaven and set things aside and he came to earth in order that we might have life. He experienced death, burial, and resurrection that we might live in him. It's the same picture that Paul is saying, hey, just as Christ came, and that demonstration, we too must have that in our lives, that heart, that that desire, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He was rejected, ridiculed, persecuted, betrayed, suffered the agony of Gethsemane before the cross, These things made up the the full price of your salvation and we must never forget that, especially in our generosity. And then, and Paul continues on in this letter in last part of chapter eight and the first of chapter nine and he talks about balance and that he's sending Timothy and others that they might complete that, that act of, of grace, that they might complete that service and demonstrate their love for, for, for the saints. So not only is our, 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 do we worship in, in this, and through generosity by understanding that it's an act of grace, but we also must understand that our generosity matters. It matters. That when we're generous, it makes a big difference. There's three things that over in John chapter nine, verse, or in John, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse six and following. I'm just gonna read here verses, verse six and seven. The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. First thing he observes is that that there is a generous reaping for those who bountifully sow. It's It's the same principle, whether it's in the physical world or the spiritual world. Uh, Lydia, my wife, loves to propagate, right? And so we'll be eating something and she'll be like, oh, save those seeds. I'm like, you can buy more seeds. What do you want to, you know? And she'll go, no, no, save those seeds. So, you know, we take these few seeds and we'll plant them. 
And you know what happens? We have a lot more fruit. And then we have more seeds. <laughs> and then she plants, you know what? We have more fruit. Because there's a picture there is as, as you reap or you, you sow sparingly, you know what you get? You get little. So if it was dependent on me and my house, we would never have growing vegetables. We'd only be dependent on a grocery store, right? But when you, when you begin to plant bountifully, when you begin to sow in, a, in, in, in excess, you know what you get? You get a bounty that is in excess. And it's the same picture with us spiritually as well. That as, we, that as we sow sparingly, we reap, we reap uh, uh, sparingly. It's a principle that is very true. It's an image of a harvest that naturally suggests also that the freedom of the sower is, is, uh, to plant is as much as he chooses. In other words, you decide. You decide. You don't want to plant much, you don't plant much. You want to plant a lot, you plant a lot. But the implication is the outcome, the harvest is dependent on how you plant. And it's the same picture in our generosity. It's up to you. In fact, he says, once you determine this mount, you give it cheerfully. Why? Because God approves and loves a cheerful giver. Not reluctantly or under compulsion as though it was something painful. I remember as a kid, I was probably about 14. I used to get jobs selling things. I was pretty good at selling stuff. And, and like in a flea market where in the, they used to have these shows in the, in the malls and stuff like that. And so I had people that would, would hire me just to sell stuff. And, and I loved it. I was good at it. I mean, I could talk anybody into to, you know, pulling out a dollar is the way I looked at it back in those days and buying something. So I, got, I had a job pretty regular doing that. And I remember my mom was watching me because I was working this one show and they were asking me and I was just running and I was on top of it. It was a couple of weeks later, mom was at home and she was asking me to do stuff around the house. And I'm like, ah, I was griping, I was complaining, taking forever to get the job done. And my mom, in her frustration, says, why is it that there you, you actually enjoy it, but here it's, it's a problem? And I remember going, that's a good question. And I went, sure. And then I finally, I just said, because I want to do that, I don't want to do this. It's the same picture in our generosity. That Paul is saying, you determine what that amount is. And then give it cheerfully. Because that's what God enjoys. He wants you to come to a place where you learn that in your generosity, when you trust him, he's going to bless you. And you trust him. And I don't mean trust you like, oh, money, money, money. I mean that God will reap a bountiful harvest with that which you have given. And your generosity it's, a, it's the idea that, that generosity is inward resolve. It's not from impulse and it's not from a casual decision. Don't, don't take it lightly. Why do you think for the first month of, the first part of the month of our missions month, the first couple of weeks, what are we telling you? Go pray about this. Pray over these missionaries. Don't make a commitment and not follow through. Don't overcommit. Pray and ask God, what does he want you to do? You have to trust him. It's, it's to be from an inward compulsion. In verses eight and nine of this chapter, he, he, he shows us that God supplies and God is able to, in fact, in my Bible, underline the word all in all these places. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Where does it all come from in order that you may do a good work? From him. 
That's why your relationship with God and your relationship to generosity are so closely tied. Because when you give without your, submitting yourself to the will of God, when you give where it's not dependent on him, you become prideful in the process. All of a sudden you demand your ways instead of trusting him, how he's gonna work through it. There, there's all kinds of issues. You have to do it in accordance to understanding that he's the one that provides. In fact, he quotes in verse nine, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He's quoting here Psalm 112. In Psalm 112, the, the, the Psalm is about the generosity of the person who fears God. And it ties that, how the generosity of this person and their relationship with God, how they go, go about. In fact, some of the summary of the, of the psalm is that the God-fearing person freely distributes gifts to those in need. Their benevolent acts of righteousness will never be forgotten, but rather will be beneficial effects in this life. In other words, it benefits those in the here and now, as well as gaining them an eternal reward because God doesn't forget when we're generously giving in the will of God for our lives. That the one who supplies what we need, it is God himself. And it's God alone. He goes on and he says that in verse 10, when he says, he who supplies seed to the sower and the bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's God who enlarges the harvest that results from righteous and generous living. It's God that does that. But you know what? When you don't sow, you don't get to see God do that. God provides over and over again. I've seen him do it in this church over and over again. I saw when, from the time when the pandemic hit that we, we, we literally saw almost $300,000 of drop in our budget as a church. And I've seen God provide and supply. Yeah, it wasn't easy. There's some decisions that had to be made and so forth. But at the same time, God has provided all the way. We now have a new school. God has provided a great relationship, an opportunity to share the gospel that we didn't have before. It's just been amazing. It's amazing how God provides. God provides through his people. He's the one that does it. I trust him. I don't trust you. And don't take that wrong. If, you're, if that hardens your heart where you're going to go home, go, fine, Greg, I'm not going to give, then you don't understand giving. Because it's not about me either. It's about him. And how he enlarges the harvest, how he does the work. You see, our generosity, it matters. It matters. Not only because we get to see that as we reap Bountifully, we reap, as we sow bountifully, we reap a bountiful harvest, but also because genuine needs are met. Look, if you will, in verses 11 and 12, he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but, to, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. I wanna first look at, he's meeting the needs of the saints. Their gift, their act of grace is meeting the needs of these Jewish believers in Judea who are experiencing tremendous, tremendous poverty. It's important. 
Not only that, not only are we see the, as we reap, as we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully, we meet as need, but lastly, that God is the source of all blessing and he is to be praised. It lends to praise. It lends to worship. That's what he says in the last part of uh, verse, uh, verse 12, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, some submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. They respond by worshiping and praising God because of the generosity. I've seen it over and over again. I remember, I remember funds being given to somebody who just went through a horrible tragedy. And I was able to, hand them some funds and say, somebody in our church just was really broken about this. And their first response wasn't, who is it? They just went, praise God, glory to God. It's to his praise. And where does the gift come from? Look what he says, don't miss it. I hope you didn't read past it. Where does it say right there in verse 13? They will glorify God because what? Of the submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Where does it come from? Because you understand that he who was once rich became poor through his death, his burial and resurrection and has now made us rich who were poor. Spiritually in all that we do, spiritually that God will deliver us and give us life eternal. It promotes the fact that he will be lifted up. It's that submission of the gift given flows from our confession and our faith in the gospel of Christ that blessed others. And then look at that last verse, verse 15. We quote it for so many things. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That word thanks, you know what, we, you know what word we, is that, that we get from that? Again, it's grace. It's favor. Grace be to God. The God who bountifully or exploited or poured out his grace on us, we now speak of favor to him. We, we lift him up because of his, of his goodness towards us, of his blessing towards us. We praise his name. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We're unable to, to even be able to give an account of the majesty of his gift, to be able to tell fully of what it means. It's those that have been benefited from such a spiritual gift stemming from God's grace that should not hesitate to benefit others with, with the grace gift. That our, that, our, that our generosity is an act of grace and our generosity, it matters, it matters. We worship through our generosity and our generosity is an act of grace as well as it matters to others. Now here in a second, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna, I think this week is a really important week. We have a, a bunch of our students who are, heading out or meeting tomorrow and they're going to be serving in a lot of different areas and places throughout our city this week. Um, they'll be bagging food for the, for the poor in one day or I think a couple of days. They'll be working at a mission center that helps people to climb out of poverty and to be able to be self-sustaining again. They're going to be doing a lot of different things this week and they're going to be, they're going to be serving him 
as a result of the gospel. And so I want to take, as we end this service, I want to have those that are going this week just come up here on the front. And Jared, I think you're in here somewhere too. Come on up. Are you, any of you guys, come on up here. Yeah, all right. Got them coming in out of the lobby. We have how many are going, Jared? 14. 14. We got about six here right now this morning. Come on over here. Any of the youth workers that are here that are going to be here that week? Are you in here? Come on up too, please. All right. What I want to do is let's just take this moment. If you want to come up, put your hands on one of them and pray over them. I'm going to have just a moment of just silent prayer. You, you can pray for them there where if you want to come up and there's one of these kids you want to just specifically pray for, please do that. Go ahead and head on up and let's just take a few minutes and pray over them. We need to pray for our kids. We've been talking about generosity today, right? Every one of these kids are being generous with their, with their time this week and the way that they're going to be serving others. So come on. Some of y'all are apprehensive. It's okay. Come on up if you want to pray over any of these kids. Let's go ahead and let's go before the Lord. You can pray in your seats from there. You up here, pray out loud over them. Go ahead and pray. Father, as they, um, as they go out this week, we, Father, uh, we commission them. We ask them, Father, to go out in the name of Christ, that they might lift you up, Father, and glorify you, that, Father, you would be pleased to use them. And, Father, I know there's many that are traveling this week, and some of the teens aren't even be here this week. I pray you be with them and use them in their places as well. But Father, I know that when you go before us, you open doors that we can't even begin to imagine. And I pray, God, you'd do that for these students this week. I pray for the leaders that are with them to give them wisdom, to instruct, to be examples of Christ, to demonstrate your grace and your mercy. And that, Father, that we as your people, we would not forget to pray for him every day this week. That, Lord, we would lift them up we would ask, Father, not only that the hand of their work would go far in your glory and your grace, but that, Father, your spirit would work in their own hearts to understand what a contrite heart, to understand what humility looks like. For, Father, as we approach you, it's with humility and it's with a contrite heart. And I pray, Father, that they would grow in that this week. They would grow in the grace that is theirs in Christ Jesus and in the knowledge of your Son, Father. To you be the honor and the glory and the praise. God, be pleased to use them for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.